You're listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the Racehorse Owners Association, and the racing app in partnership with Fitzdevs. Hi there, welcome to the show. Tuesday, February the 6th, and you will note that once again, we're a shade later than ideal today, but there is method in the madness as I come to you on a pleasant enough late winter afternoon here in TW11 because the Grand National entries closed at midday and I'm recording this just a couple of ticks past midday in the company of the Racing Post's senior writer, Lee Mottershead. And there are some notable headlines, not ones that will surprise you, but notable talking points nonetheless, Lee. What are they? So the the big thing, Nick, is that we have, and as you say, no surprise, a record number of Irish trained entries in the 2024 Randox Grand National. There are 94 horses entered in total in the race. 61 of those are trained in Ireland. If we rewind back 12 months, there were 85 entries, so we're nine up on last year. 54 were trained in Ireland on that occasion. That represented 64% of the total entries. They went on to have 67% of the total runners, 26 of 39. This year, 61 Irish entries of 94 total entries represents a 65% entry uh, in the, the, the wider Grand National uh, potential lineup. There are 26 horses entered by Gordon Elliott. There are 13 horses entered by Willie Mullins among the Brits. Uh, Nicky Henderson has three. Uh, Dan Skelton has five. Paul Nichols has just the one, three under through five. But it is that Irish entry uh, that is the big talking point here. And in particular, 26 horses entered by a man who adores the Grand National, Gordon Elliott. Well, it's been a busy few days for Gordon Elliott off the back of the Dublin Racing Festival, straight to the dispersal of the Andy and Gemma Brown horses yesterday, more of which much later in the programme. And now with the Grand National entries, I put a call in, a little bit about the rest of that in a moment. But first of all, I asked him how he goes about deciding who goes in the race. Yeah, I think whoever qualifies for the race at this stage, Nick, because um, obviously it's nearly closer and you don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of months, what horse improves or what horse does and what you're going to run. So you have to keep all bases covered and that's what I'm paid to do. So obviously, on in the qualifiers for the race, we have to enter them. Okay. And at this stage, I mean, clearly you're not going to say, yeah, here's my number one, here's my number two, here's my number three. But if there was a kind of cluster that will definitely be aimed there, that you think, right, this is their seasonal aim, which would they be? Are they the more kind of household name types? Yeah, probably. I mean, like Galvin, Delta, Work, and Slater's, Cocoa Beach, Chemical Energy, there a few horses that have definitely run it, you know. And after that, you know, we'll walk back Fury Road, he'll have a go at it. After that, we'll walk back um, and see what weights the other horses get or see what other races there is. But, yeah, look, a lot of different owners and it's the greatest race in the world and everyone's done it. If you could go back, I don't know, 20 odd years, maybe a few more, and have one one last spin round the Grand National fences on any of those horses. Who'd give you the best ride round there, do you think? Um, if probably had to pick one today, I'd, I'd maybe ride Coco Beach. Uh, he's good and safe, so um, he might win it, but he definitely would the safest spin, so I'd probably have to go with him. Now, clearly, you're going to have a stack of runners. 34 is the maximum field. I mean, it's not inconceivable. You could have nearly half of the field. 
that's going to be the subject of some debate. What do you say to those people who say, God, it's so boring, Gordon Elliott, with all these runners, it should be capped, and the BHA were toying with the idea earlier in the season? How would you respond to that? I think it would be very unfair on owners. Um, you know, every owner, a lot of individual owners, they're all entitled to run the race. Uh, I can't have that at all, to be honest, Nick, because if I've got the horse to qualify for the race. They're all entitled to run. I've worked very hard to have what I have. Uh, I, I can't have people, you know, giving out and being chippy. Um, you know, I, I work very hard for what I have, you know, as there's a lot of other trainers. And if the horses qualify, we're entitled to run them. And you take a, a view, I'm sure, when you look upon what we saw last weekend with Willie Mullins, your your great rival in Ireland, dominating the Dublin Racing Festival. He took 57% of the, the prize money home. And it was, it was, for your standards, pretty lean pickings for you. I'd... I don't hear you complaining too much about his dominance there. What's your your take on that? No, like to be honest, um, I was like, I knew going into into Leprechaun I was going to be light enough with the sale on. A couple of horses just missed it for different reasons. I knew I was going to be struggling going into it, but uh, I take my hat off to Willie Williams. Um, so he's probably one of if, if he if he not the greatest trainers of all times. He's setting the standard, and we all have to live with him and keep making him better because he makes us better that's what I feel anyway you know I, he makes me hungrier and I can't have anyone saying that he's too much domination he, he, he's worked very hard for everything he has and, and fair play to him I, I can't have it at all and it could actually drive me mad to be honest I hear people giving out about people on too many horses and races or doing this or doing that you know we all work very hard and we're entitled to do whatever we have to do for our owners and in terms of yesterday, which was pretty challenging day for you, you sent twenty-seven of the Andy and Gemma Brown horses to the sale, and you came back with the with the lion's share of them. Um, how did it all feel when you got home last night? I was tired, honey. I was drained. It was a long day. Um, look, we were disappointed to lose a few of the horses. Um, you know, obviously we underbid the big one, um, but. I wish every owner and trainer that bought every other horse the best of luck. Um, I hadn't got enough money Paul Nichols had. Uh, he, you know, he, he he was working for his owners and he's entitled to buy the horse. Um, I wish him the best of luck and his owners as every other horse, but I, I, you won't hear me giving out. I hadn't enough money. I wish him the best of luck with the horse. Um, and, you know, that's what, how I feel on it. I'm, get, I'm getting very strong get on with it vibes uh, during this interview. Get your head down, keep working, get on with it and do your best. Exactly. Listen, I've had I've had bigger blows. Um, the one thing I, I love doing is training horses. Uh, I work hard at it, and uh, that's what I get up every morning to do. Gordon Elliott, there. Lee Mosthead, senior writer of the Racing Post, is with me now. Lee, very interesting hearing what Gordon had to say there. He's he's pretty diplomatic in interviews as a general rule, but clearly, I think that was a an itch he he needed to scratch a bit about. Mm. Uh, feeling a bit of of heat for running lots of horses in in races, and it's something we touched on in the Troy Town earlier on in the season. And when he puts it like that, I think you can, in some ways, divide this argument into or this debate into two halves, Nick. Um, in the sense that I think Gordon is absolutely right in 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 the thrust of his argument. You can't criticize people slate people berate people for being good at what they do um and willie mullins is by far and away the top trainer in jump racing at the moment therefore it's no surprise that he had so many runners and winners 
at the Dublin Racing Festival. And the blessing is he's prepared to run his best horses against each other. I don't think it's possible to criticise William Mullins for being good at his job, nor is it possible, or should we be criticising Gordon Elliott for being very good at his job? Uh, he often makes the point that he had, he sort of, in effect, started with nothing in this sport and his rise through the ranks is extraordinary. He has done an extraordinary thing to get where he is. Um, he adores the Grand National, um, as you you heard there, and it's therefore perfectly understandable that he will want to enter as many of his eligible, talented horses in a race that he loves as he possibly can. I don't think anybody can criticise Gordon or Willie or even Jiggenstown House Stud, um, who have a big chunk of Gordon entries, for wanting to be involved. I think that argument is clear, but I think you have to put you have you put that to one side, and but then you have to ask, is this good for the sport? And that's why um, the BHA, I think, started talking to uh, stakeholders over here before Christmas and after Christmas, asking what they thought of a possible idea about limiting trainers to having forerunners in major handicaps now it's just worth repeating uh one of the lines or the quotes that was used by the bha when they decided not to do that it was having considered the feedback and discussed the matter of the sports commercial committee and bha board it has been agreed to take not to not to take any immediate action in regards to this matter but to keep the issue under review I think that's interesting, Nick. What we actually get in terms of a final field here, Nick, will determine, I think, what how the, the sport over here follows on for, from that and whether action is taken in the future. I think one thing you do have to say, though, is from a, a total entry of 94, if you limited Gordon Elliott and Willie Mullins to four runners each, when you consider that they, at the minute they have 39 of the 94 possible runners you're actually probably getting to the point whereby you're thinking, would we actually fill a 34-horse race? Well, here's the thing. There, I do think that what Gordon Elliott does and what other trainers don't do with the Grand National, he will enter the good horses. He will enter his very best horses in the race and quite often will run them. Gordon talks about um, uh, other trainers who've been chippy um, about the current domination of a, of a handful of trainers. I think one point that probably is worth making is that that had, I don't think that chippiness has really come from Britain. Um, you know, the the the, the BHA spoke to the sports stakeholders. Well, I, and I can a lot think of, of, I can think of one or two. Well, chippy, there are one or, one or two, yeah. One or two, yeah. And someone like Richard <laughs> Newland has been vocal about it. But in the main, I think that the, the top British trainers haven't. You know, Nicky Henderson, Paul Nichols, Dan Skelton. I think any of those have come out and said we want to see a limit. Now you could say that's because they wouldn't want that imposed on themselves, and that's true as well. Um, I spoke to Tony Mullins for a feature around the new year. He was very vocal in, in wanting to see a limit on the number of horses trainers could run in. Was in, he chippy? Was he called him chippy? No, no, I wouldn't call him chippy. I just think he has an opinion. And I think we're all entitled to an opinion. And I think it's, again, it's hard to argue with someone who says, my view is that trainers should be limited because the, 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 the public perception of races that are dominated by one trainer is not good and that it can't be good for the sport and and long term it can't be that's a huge issue i think we've got graver problems on our hands more imminently than the grand national one of them is the champion hurdle oh i mean out today scratched officially ampere pass scratched officially bob ollinger 
So there's two vaguely interesting horses that would have been in there outside Constitution Hill and State Man. And John Bon, incidentally, has been scratched from the Ryanair chase, which means that he only got the option of the champion chase mm -hmm. if he goes anywhere. Wow, we this champion hurdle. I mean, we we did flag this up yesterday, so I don't want to labour the point, Lee, but it's 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 sing it's not even single figures. It's sub five, isn't it? Yeah. Well, she, I mean, have, have we got time to run? So Colonel Mustard, Constitution Hill, Field de Dairies, uh, First Street, Guard Your Dreams, Irish Point, Nemean Line, Not So Sleepy, Pied Piper, State Man, Zanier, Zarek the Brave, Echoes in Rain, Gala Marceau, Lossy Mouth, Love Envoi, Lucia, and Under Control. And that's quite a lot of horses when you when you read them out but you'd say the vast majority of those are not going to run um you could easily have a situation where i think you had five runners in the champion hurdle six you could have less you could have less um it's going to be quite a quite a thing i i, I yeah I, I, we, I, I doubt we're going to get a match between constitutional and state man but we're not going to get many runners. You're still not going to have an each way race. No, no it's going to be, I'm afraid that that's going to be a, a talking point more and more. I think between now and, and Cheltenham can't yeah. understand, can't for the life of me fathom why Bollin Bob Bollinger hasn't been left in. I mean, what if something happened to constitutional estate man between now and then, you know, then you'd have to supplement back you'd into the race. If, you, if you've yeah. got the money to spend a gazillion, gazillion pounds yesterday at Tattersall's Island, then surely you just, Leave the horse in to give yourself the option. Anyway, yeah, on we go to talk about that sale. In a moment, you'll be hearing from Tessa Greatrex, who made a couple of quite high-profile purchases. And you heard Gordon Elliott mention it. He got most of the horses back off the Andy and Gemma Brown auction. Uh, he didn't uh, get back the biggie, Caldwell Potter, who goes to Paul Nichols for three-quarters of the MS Allen team of the weekend, um, plus one other, um, Peter Doan, uh, for seven seven hundred and forty thousand euros which is a, a national hunt record by quite some way yeah absolutely nick um i was should you be surprised or not i don't know i i was i was surprised he was lost to uh to the elliot yard they would have been desperate to get in they were clearly in a bidding war ultimately they 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 walked away um the horses new owners must have been extremely keen to get him for me he's a horse who clearly blossomed this season he's lost more races than than he's won but his win at leopardstown last time was very exciting he looks like um a future chaser which is why i think whatever happens at Cheltenham in march uh this year isn't really necessarily that crucial towards um whether he's deemed long term to have been worth the money or not yeah and for all Nichols got the top lot and most of the horses went back to, to Gordon Elliott's. There was a, an interesting and healthy spread of, of other money looking to invest or investing quite significantly. Tessa Greatrex of High Flyer Bloodstock bought for her husband Warren's stable a horse called Mighty Bandit who'd had two starts and she gave 420,000 guineas for the twice-raised son of Order of St. George, his first crop. On behalf of Jim and Claire Bryce, uh, Warren's landlord at Roanhurst in, in Lambourne. I asked her, given her extensive experience um, in bloodstock sales rings over the last few years, just how yesterday felt. It was just, yeah, it's a sort of surreal type feel to it because no one really quite knew how to value them. Um, no one quite knew who was coming. Um, and it was just it's an incredible opportunity to buy horses that just do not come up for sale. And 
it was a rare occurrence where no horse had a reserve either. So it wasn't as though you were getting any steer from the vendor as to what these horses might be worth. No, exactly. And, you know, we all were aware that Gordon was going to want, you know, as many of them back as possible. So slightly possibly relying on him to value them as well um, with him bidding against you or whatever. So, yeah, no, it was really hard to, to, to get a gauge on how to value any of them. And it was definitely a case of, you know, being there and organized and picking out what you wanted and giving it your best shot. I mean, w- would you have had a go at everything? I mean, would you have had a go at Caldwell Potter, for example, even though he was clearly going to be a lot of money? I, I, no, we didn't have a go at Caldwell Potter. We we knew he was going to be too expensive for us. Jim has sort of given me a budget, and, um, you know, we'd had nine on our list to have a go at um, and just worked our way down, um, sort of fundamentally. But we, Phil Dore was our first... Um, one that we were super keen to get um, and you know we didn't um, I bid 450 he made 620 that was my last bid so that gave us a gauge of where we were at on the sale now um, Tessa Tessa I've known you a long time and I know you're a very cool customer but when when you, you casually say well I bid 420 for for Phil Dore at what point does your heart actually start beating a shade quicker than it normally would when you're at a Derby sale or a Land Rover sale or or whatever? Um, well, I have to say, I think about an hour before the sale, I definitely was starting to feel, God, you know, oh, I hope I can pull this one off. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. I mean, literally, once you start bidding, the adrenaline and the heart starts pumping pretty much for whatever you buy because you want to get them and you don't want to overpay and you know you get get in the moment and it's exciting and terrifying at the same time it's a funny thing isn't it because on one hand we we really revere the idea of people spending lots of money on jump racing because we absolutely love it and on the other hand perhaps because of the climate we're in when you actually look at the list of the uh, the prices that were realized yesterday people go oh that's a bit gross people spending that much money on on geldings and you know isn't it all can kind of conspicuous consumption um did did you sort of feel yesterday that you were in within something that was a bit unusual or a bit unreal Yes, definitely. But I mean, the whole situation was totally unique. I mean, it just it just doesn't happen. So, yeah, it did feel like that. But at the same time, you know, the people that were there are people who are passionate about sport and they want success and they want to buy good horses. And, you know, if you want to play at the top table, we know predominantly the best horses at the moment are in Ireland. And if you want to get in there and get some of these horses, you've got to play. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the horse that you you did get for the the big money, Mighty Banded at, at four twenty. Quite an unusual profile from the first crop of order of St George. Just a couple of runs. What did you like about him? Well, um, first and foremost, when we were going through and watching videos of just the initial things, I mean, his his first run is super impressive, um, and the way he quicken ups and after the last and goes away and wins the race. Um, was very eye-catching and then with winners coming out behind him sort of frank that form um, and then he did run disappointing the next time but um, Gordon had told us that he'd scoped dirty and he'd um, had to do a bit of a tidy up with the epiglottis um, which is quite a common thing 
um and he's so that's all been done for us and so now we can sort of crack on and maybe think about the triumph you know but again it all depends on how well he settles in and you wouldn't only have the two runs so he wouldn't be able to go to the fred winter but we you know i'll leave that to warren if he wants to run him or whatever but i think that the plan would probably go straight to the triumph and also warren and jim both like um the fact that He'd only had a couple of runs and that he was then hopefully able, able to make the horse's future, um, not necessarily just having bought a ready-made. And you bought a, I was going to say, you bought a cheap one. Um, 62 grand in this sale was quite reasonable for for Tactical Affair, who's shown some quite nice form. I mean, it's not impossible. He'll end up being as good. Exactly. And he's only a five-year-old. And we'd all, within, within our list, we'd always had him at the bottom. You know, we'd always, he came at the right way. So we were keen to get him if we hadn't managed to buy earlier. You know, we didn't feel he was the consolation prize. We were still keen on him. And the fact that he came in at that price was fantastic because we can't buy a winning pointer for that. Now, clearly, uh, Warren is in a, a fairly... A uh, small minority of trainers, I think, in in Great Britain who've trained Grade One winners at Punchestown and at the DRF. So he'll be well respected by his counterparts across the Irish Sea. Nonetheless, when you get horses from Gordon Elliott, especially at this sort of money, the the pressure's on a bit. Um, what what was the what was the nature of the conversation when you got home last night? Well, by the time I got home last night, he was fast asleep. Um, I didn't get home till 11 o'clock. So um, the conversation this morning is, I mean, his sort of shock, excitement. Um, we can't wait for the horse to get here and get making a plan. All right, big weekend at Newbury. It's Spetfair Super Saturday and Newbury's clerk of the course, George Hill, joins me now. Uh, George, how's the track looking ahead of this week? Good morning, Nick. Yeah, tracks in tracks in good shape. Um, where official going is at the moment, good, good to soft in places. But we've got plenty of rain coming from tonight through till um, Friday, Saturday. So kind of expecting twenty five to thirty five mil in total, which is uh, obviously above average for this time of year. But um, I think you know it'll probably turn it um, as soft ground, so it'll be um, hopefully suit most of the. Most of the 116 entries that have uh, entered yesterday morning. Just tell me a little bit about the prize money uh, at Newbury this Saturday, George, and indeed plans for the rest of the year. A, a total prize fund of, of 411,000 um, on offer on Saturday, which is the first of our 11 premier fixtures for this year. And that's an increase um, an increase of over 40,000 from 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 this day last year um, for this Betfair Super Saturday weekend. Um, we've got the Betfair Hurdle, which is obviously the feature handicap on Saturday. That's that's 155,000. And we've got the Betfair um, Demon and the Game Spirit Chase, those two grade two chases. And they've increased now to 85,000 um, from 70, 12 months ago. So for 2024, we've been lucky to announce a, a total um, prize money commitment of uh, seven million for, for across the across the 30, 31 fixtures. Um, Eleven of those are, as I mentioned, are, are the premier fixtures, and we got nineteen core fixtures. So throughout the premier and core fixtures, we'll see an uplift throughout the year. We've got um, across the flat and jumps across both codes. We've got um, so some of our feature races have, have increased. Um, 
throughout um, whether the Premier or core fixtures and um, we're, we're really pleased to be able to to, to, to offer this and um, to, to increase it by by over 900,000 for, for 2024. That's George Hill, clerk of the course at Newbury. Now, one person who might be hoping the rain stays away is trainer Ben Pauling, who runs the unexposed novice, a really unexposed novice, tell her the name in the Betfair Hurdle, as short as 10 or 12 to 1 in places for that race. I called the trainer earlier and asked him whether he was concerned about the weather. Um, I probably, yeah, I'd be hoping we get the bottom end of the rain forecasted. Um, he's, he's won, he's run well on soft ground, but the ground we encountered at Aintree was next level and he just couldn't go a yard. I think you opened the sort of intro with he's very unexposed. I think he is, um, you know, we've been very fortunate this year. We've got a lovely bunch of novice hurdlers, but, um, He's certainly one that's poking his head out to me as as, as he could be um, what we're all looking for in the fact that, you know, he, he's got everything I think you need to be a top-class horse and um, he appears at this moment in time to be taking it all in his stride and, uh, the, you know, when he's completed, uh, he's been very unextended. So looking forward to seeing what he can do if we run on Saturday. You've got a runner in the Sydney Banks on Thursday at, at Huntingdon called Handstands, who's unbeaten so far. He's looked very, very good in beating marked inferiors. How confident are you that he can take the step up against three pretty useful-looking horses? Yeah, no, again, he's a, he is, as you say, unbeaten at this present moment in time. Um, but he's, he's a horse that wouldn't necessarily wow you um, at home but everything you ask him to do he does nicely he's he, he worked with the best horse or the worst horse in the yard and, and do it nicely you know he's one of those um he's he goes there on on thursday with a very good chance i have to just ask you to reflect on the weekend uh, harper's brook must be very pleased with himself just brilliant when those horses which quite clearly have a little bit of a mind of their own uh go and do uh, go and put their head in front and you know everyone says oh would he have won or would he who cares uh, at the end of the day I'm afraid we'll take every win that we can we can with Harpo and it was great for Andrew and Jane um, he's, he's he's a very very talented horse he really is um, but there's no two ways about it he's got a mind of his own but um, hopefully putting his head back in front will give him some confidence and he's come out of the race great I pop him in the ground Daniel do you think very much so. You, re- you you know my thinking, Nicholas. Um, it's um, yeah. He was off 136. I wanted to go up three. Um, so you know we should be about spot on, hopefully. Okay, and Six Mile Bridge in the colours of the Megsons as well look very very good in the bumper. I mean, it's a good job you didn't tell anyone and he didn't go off too short a price. Thirteen to eight favourite. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's. Quite often, uh, in my opinion, especially with the National Hunt horses, those that show the most on the gallops don't always transfer it onto the track like you might hope. Um, but this lad has been very impressive in all his work. Uh, and believe it or not, I genuinely haven't had a clean scope off him for four months. 
Um, and it got to the point where we either ran or we didn't. He probably goes to the Cheltenham bumper, I think, which is very unusual for me. But the way he went about the job, the way he travels without being too keen, and he, he appears to know what he, what he's doing. I think he might be the one to roll the dice with. Ben Pauling looking forward and indeed casting an eye back. And with that in mind, it's now time for the Timeform Perspective with Dan Barber. Dan, we're going to start. Dublin Racing Festival. Bally Burn recorded a faster time than State Man. Is that as good as it looks? I think it was pretty flash when you consider that not just the direct time comparison with Stateman, who we know is an established mid to high 160s horse, he, in any other generation without a Constitution Hill he would be an extremely worthy short price favourite for a, a champion hurdle. But there's a lot of evidence beyond that. We've we've calculated times for hundreds and hundreds of races over that course and distance on similar ground, and it was a punchy 153 time figure. And that I think what we like about that is the fact it gives you real confidence in your assessment of that form. So if you want to be bold and you want to take a positive view of Ballyburn as we have you've got the time that supports that view. Quicker than State Man, not as quick through the final, uh, from three out to the line, but certainly overall time was was sharper. And there is an element that State Man's race was running a, a, a less true gallop, but it was still a pretty striking performance from a young horse. almost felt like a complete performance and one that certainly from our, our time form perspective would have him, uh, again, a justifiable short price favourite. David Casey yesterday on the show said he's leaning towards the two and a half mile race. Well, that would certainly be his gut feeling. Sounds as though you at Timeform would say stick to the Supreme. There have been others that have gone on to win Supremes from the same race. You've had even the likes of Min, who finished second to Altio the year he couldn't realistically win it in hindsight, who've gone on to the Supreme. I almost feel like Ballyburn feels more complete. I can consider the likes of Asterian Falange who had the same 153 time form rating going into the Supreme, as having a doubt about Woody Act going the other way around. A horse like appreciated, it ended up a very thin renewal that he won of the Supreme. But I think there were questions, well, will he be as effective away from really testing conditions? Ballyburn seems to have ticked a few boxes already. He looks remarkably uncomplicated. And that's to say he's had only four starts as well. And... The agility I thought that he showed was most striking. I know they've missed a flight and he would have had to extend under pressure over that, but he just looked like the sort of horse you can put anywhere in a race and has that proven stamina already, which Faheen had, which Vitor had ultimately. I thought the Supreme was the right race and who's to say that the runner-up, Slade Steele, isn't the, the one that might go and win that old Ballymore now the Bear in Bingham? All right, let's talk about the novice chase division because if there were the most balls up in the air, it's here, mainly because of that weird match where Facts to File potted round and Gaelic Warrior didn't pot around. So that's completely thrown all the markets into disarray. It's thrown all sorts of targets open. Nobody's got a clue what's going to happen in the Arkle because Marine Nationale blew out as well. Have you got any data? Have you got any figures off the weekend that actually help us in any respect? What it does do, it takes maybe back to trials day. Um, one thing that Gaelic Warrior has, this potential brilliance, maybe you couldn't level at Ginny's destiny, but he's got a figure in the mid-150s, 157 to be precise, with a P, after what he did at trials day. 
And as I say, he might not have that same level of wow, but he's certainly got the solidity. And I think that ties in with Ballyburn as well. He, an air of brilliance for sure, but certainly a belief that both will be on song on the day and will be unflustered by circumstances. I'm sure we'll see Cobden try and take that inside line. Just a quick reflection back on Ballyburn. I mentioned Ginny's Destiny 157P. That has him basically alongside Factor File. There's a pound between them now. But just reflecting back on that supreme picture, he's equal seventh Ballyburn in this century for in terms of highest rating going into the Supreme, providing nothing changes between now and then. And I wouldn't say your listeners would be minded to go and check a spreadsheet and, and deal through some names, but there are some illustrious ones up there headed by my tentor yours who came in after the brilliant Betfair hurdle. He went an unconventional route, but seventh this century and a host of high class names ahead of him. Some of the biggest in the sport does lend you to believe that a by dint of a disappointment, Gaelic warriors opened the door for Ginny's destiny, the solid one. And there's a feeling I think in that Supreme as well, that the door now is open for a solid one. And for me, that feels like Ballyburn and the British end wasn't really kept up via the big hope Jericho de Repine just the weekend before. All right, it is Tuesday, of course, so we go around the Bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. The Weatherby Stallion book is, of course, out. The Global Stallions app has been refreshed with the new entries. Longtime supporter of the Stallion book, Gestut Röttgen, one of the great and historic German stud farms. Currently standing three stallions, a new boy as well, more of which in a moment, Ikitos, Vinstos, and Milovic. They're all interesting for reasons you'll find out in a few moments' time as we welcome, um, for the second time to the podcast, uh, Gestut Röttgen's Supremo, Frank Dorf. And Frank, it might just be worth reminding everyone who wasn't with us last time just exactly where you are in um, Cologne, because you are smack bang in the city centre, really, right in the industrial heartland of it, a bit of an oasis. Yes, yeah, yes, we are um, literally, literally uh, in Cologne now, so the city is growing a lot, and um, so we have two kilometres um, to the airport and ten kilometres to the big cathedral, so, yeah, it's an oasis here, yeah. <laughs> It must be it must be lovely in a way for for you to be able to to marry up that sort of urban living with li- existing on this fairly sizable stud farm, which is a a really important part of of Germany's history. How how has it managed to stay as it is and not be built up and 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 become part of that industrial landscape? Yeah, the big advantage we have is that we are a foundation. So the last owner, Mrs. Maria Mühlhens, um, put everything she had into this foundation. And her last will was that the start will survive. And um, so since now, I think 35, 37 years, um, she passed away. Um, the board of the foundation um, try everything to keep it alive and uh, so far they are very successful and the good thing is that um, a foundation a charitable what is it a charitable foundation uh, like the neomunions stiftung is it called um, is not like a private person it belongs more or less all 
German people. So you cannot um, force to sell something. Okay, so it's it's a it's a charitable trust for the whole the whole population, and and so. Yes. It's it's there in perpetuity, which is wonderful for horse racing. Let's have a deeper dive into this horse, Equitos, because he's by the late Adler Flug, who's made such a big impression with Torquato, Tasso, and and in Swoop and, and many others. How popular is he in Germany, and how big a sensation has he been just in his early days as a stallion? Yeah, in the. Um in his first years, he covered only a few mares because his little problem is that he is a bit small and he stood uh, first in Bavaria, far away from the breeders, and then in Graditz, which is also far away from, from all the breeders. And um, But with his first small offspring, he sired two a one group one horse and another black type horse from only five um, folds. So he showed everyone that he is able to produce good horses. And um, since then, um, he covered more and more horses and he is very popular because he proved himself. And uh, he is, as you said, by Adler Flug, um, who is a who was a very good stallion out of a very good female line. And we all in Germany hope that um, he will be a success. Your other two stallions, Vinstos and Milovic. Vinstos is by Scirocco, who we all know very well. And we know that Vinstos won the, the German derby as well. Uh, third to Cracksman in the Coronation Cup. The first yearlings are on the ground this year. How much commercial appeal do you expect those yearlings to have throughout Europe? Um, they are all very, very well-made um, individuals. They are all very correct and have a very good mind. Um, so I'm not sure about the how the agents will value um, Winstos as a sire, as a commercial sire, definitely not, because um, he is definitely under the radar of all the foreign people. Um, but I think if 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 a agent or a client uh, see the yearlings, uh, he will realize that um, they are good, and I hope for that. Let's talk a little bit about the the trainer change at, at your at your stable at your adjoining stable. Marcus Klug is has left, and Maxime Pescher, who finished riding last year, is moving into the into the hot seat. They're very big shoes to fill. Tell me a little bit about Maxime and, and why the switch has come about. Um, That's a very good question. Um, and to be honest, um, I don't know really because um, Marcus Klug decided to um, be, what is it, self-employed. Mm -hmm. And um, then Maxime was one of a um, solution. So he um, is long time here he rode a lot um, at, uh, many years out here in Redken he knows the training grounds very well and um, so the board gave him a try so that's how it is <laughs> let's head let's head back to the to the breeding shed uh, and talk a little bit about uh, some of the horses that that have done well and, and have really advertised the farm around the world 
I, I was particularly interested in uh, Wagnis, who's by Adlerflug, and she's got a particularly interesting covering next year. Tell me a little bit about where she went and what's happening to her. Yeah, um, we got a, a nice offer from her for her from um, Northern Farms in Japan. So we decided to sell her to Japan, and um, I was told that she will um, visit Equinox, and that was another very good argument to sell her, because what I want to have is that if we sell very good horses that they go to the best sellings in the world which we cannot afford sometimes and develop the female lines more and more and um, so that's definitely what will happen with Wagner's and um, so I'm really looking forward to that. As I say we, we spoke two years ago and we weren't long out of the pandemic at that point how has progress been in the in the two years since are you are you pretty happy with the way things have gone? Um, in general, in, in what um, I think, uh, in, if you see the breeding of Rutkin, yes, I'm very, um, very okay with that. The development was good, um, but the whole thing in in Germany is not really developing well, actually. So we are losing foals. Um, we have only 600 folds a year and um yeah i think we are heading to tough times actually okay and what what can you what can you do to push back against the tide do you think what does german racing need to do to to start really putting itself in a stronger position uh, i think um we need a whole evening to <laughs> to explain that but um <clears throat> in general i think um we should try to get more prize money. And uh, it's if we have more prize money, um, the breeders will produce more horses. That's what's happening in Australia. That's what's happening in Japan. And that's what's happening um, in even in the Turkey. Um, they have more prize money. And then you see that the um, full crop is growing. And if you have less price money, it will go down. Um, but it's not that easy to get more price money into racing, uh, as we all know. Um, so, yeah, it's a very good question. And then we have to earn more money um, from the betting, definitely. Um, but there are mistakes who went 30 years ago before the internet came. Yeah. It all sounds so alarmingly familiar. Frank, thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the very best. It sounds a very special place that requires great love and attention and preservation. And uh, thank you for doing that. Thanks so much for talking to me again. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, Lee is back with me. And Lee, you've been on the political beat. Yeah, this, this leads towards the debate that's going to take place in Westminster on February 26th. Uh, it's clearly vital, I think, at the moment that uh, racing fans, racing participants, punters get in touch with the local MPs to attend that debate and make their voice heard. I went to uh, Richmond Brackets Yorks, um, Rishi Sunak's parliamentary constituency for a couple of days last week to, to gauge 
the thoughts of um, participants and fans. And I think what was the, the 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 message that came across loudest was that things are difficult as it is already. Please don't make them worse. Jed O'Keefe, uh, trainer who had tremendous success with Sam Spinner uh, a few years ago, was really powerful in what he said along with his wife, Andrea, in that they spoke about being on a cliff edge, really, with their business at the moment. And he said affordability checks are something else to stop people getting involved. We need to be encouraging people. We don't need anything that might put them off. Joe Vickers, who is a local bookmaker and is now well known through her extensive sponsorship uh, portfolio, she spoke of being well aware of a growth in the black market uh black black market for betting including she referenced local pubs where in effect a bookie sits in the pub now taking bets and i spoke with james sanderson of catrick Racecourse, um again within rishi sunak's local constituency and he made clear how serious he thinks the situation is in terms of race courses he said i don't think we'll be, there will be as many race courses there are now in 10 years time and this is going to be a contributory factor affordability checks are damaging to us all but they represent a real threat to some courses we're not crying wolf i would say to rishi sunak that there might be a problem gambling issue but it isn't a racing issue i think they're taking a sledgehammer to crack a small nut i did pop along nick to, to the pm's uh, constituency office on a business park in north allerton uh, not surprisingly he wasn't there wouldn't have expected him to be there it was in response to that, though, the DCMS came across with a quote from a government spokesperson who didn't really take this further forward than we were before. So, yeah, worrying times uh, that was expressed in the PM's constituency. And it all leads towards this important parliamentary debate on Feb 26. All right, Lee, have you got a tip for me for today? I have. I have, Nick. Um, I am going to a horse who um, I've been backing for years and generally not with a huge amount of success. I remember one of my biggest bets of the, I think it was a 2019 Cheltenham Festival, was on Magic Saint to win the Grand Annual for Paul Nichols. He didn't win that and he's not gone on to be the horse that I thought he might be, but he runs in the 420 at Taunton today, the Arthur and Peggy White Memorial Handicap Chase. He's coming out of Hunter Chases to go in this under the really informed and exciting Freddie Gingell, and I am tipping him to win the 420 at Taunton Magic Sight. All right, thanks so much, Lee. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. That was Tuesday, the 6th of February. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, in association with Timeform, with the Racehorse Owners Association, and with the Racing App, in partnership with Fitzdares.